In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So about seven months ago in April, I broke down and did something I'd been successfully avoiding, quite carefully, for my whole adult Christian life. I began a study of the letter to the Hebrews. Yes, I'd been avoiding it, and for good reason. As you just heard, it's a rather difficult listen, isn't it? And a difficult read, too. For one, it consists of a long, sustained argument which requires so much patience and perseverance to get through and resists convenient sound bites, which are so much easier to bend to our will. For another, it presents an ancient and quite foreign ritual world filled with high priests and animal sacrifices and sprinkling of blood. Ick. Plus, there's all this talk of suffering, and truth be told, I'm not a big fan of suffering. And perfection, which rubs recovering perfectionists like myself the wrong way. But none of this compares to the problem I had, to the damage done by interpreters who have used this same letter to argue for Christian supremacy over Judaism, to argue that Christianity has replaced Judaism, that God has rejected Jews in favor of Christians, rendered Israel's law and rituals null and void, replaced by, well, ours. It was an argument that I have always rejected and still do as arrogant, harmful, and completely inconsistent with the God I know, who is and always has been faithful to all God's people. So this is how I handled it. Whenever I came across something in that letter that I didn't like or understand, I just closed my Bible and walked away, which left me quite unprepared to counter those harmful interpretations let alone lead a Bible study on this letter. So, when members of our Wednesday afternoon Eat Your Word Bible study, when some of you here wanted to tackle Hebrews, it was against my better judgment, and I'll tell you, it put the fear of God in me. But trusting in our companionship, Trusting in that group's company through other not-so-easy studies, I ordered some commentaries, said a prayer, and we dug in together on Zoom. Hebrews on Zoom. That's right. That was not easy. And this was about a year into the pandemic when we were all so tired of Zoom and so weary in general, when so many of our losses were really beginning to sink in, and we carried them with this real, almost tangible heaviness. 
There was the loss of life, of course, and the loss of trust, of certainty, time and community, identity and purpose. There were losses or changes to structures and routines and freedoms that we had believed were essential. And I, for one, was feeling really discouraged, really, really confused, and spiritually flat, like my faith was completely stuck. There was an article that came out in the New York Times that same week that we started the study. I realized that when I went back to look it up. And in that article, organizational psychologist Adam Grant offered a name for what I and so many others were experiencing. Languishing. Languishing. Languishing, he said, is a sense of stagnation and emptiness an ill-defined, unrecognized void between the very clear high of flourishing and the very clear low of depression. It was a sense of the absence of well-being. Languishing, he said, is the neglected middle child, often overlooked, of mental health. And it was the dominant emotion of 2021. Well, the Holy Spirit works in mysterious and mischievous ways, doesn't she? And she had done it again, because it turned out that Hebrews was the perfect companion for this time. Now, we don't really know much about Hebrews' original audience, but the text itself suggests that they were dealing with some kind of low-grade crisis. Members of this congregation had been imprisoned, publicly shamed, abused. Their possessions had been plundered. They had faced hardships before and perhaps were now. And when they faced them before as new converts with that newly kindled fire of Christ burning in their bellies, they had endured bravely, almost joyfully. But now, now that fire is burning less brightly. The spiritual highs have leveled off. They're still waiting still waiting for Christ's return, still waiting for the advent of God's kingdom in all its glory, still waiting for the reward for all their faithfulness. They've been running toward God, running so hard, so fast toward justice and peace for so long, and yet they still feel so far away. They're weary. They're discouraged. Some have given up all together on Christ and on each other. And others have watched them go and worried and wondered, am I missing something? Should I go too? Is this really worth it? Is any of this doing any good? Am I doing any good? Or did I just get this all wrong? 
a spiritual malaise seems to have descended upon them, they are languishing. And into this spiritual malaise, to this discouraged congregation, the letter, the pastor of the letter of Hebrews exhorts them, don't give up. Now is the time. Now is the time when you hold fast. Now is the time when you draw even nearer to God. Now is the time when you encourage one another. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. And if you're no longer satisfied with, if you're no longer fully nourished by your earlier understanding of Christ, then dig in deeper. Dig in deeper to the mystery of Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews says in so many words, and that's what Hebrews does and compels its readers and listeners to do also, to dig in deeper, to hold fast, to persevere through 13 long chapters of this long, intricate, confusing argument that is ultimately about God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness as revealed in Jesus Christ, in whom we have a merciful and faithful high priest. Now that may not exactly clear things up for you. It didn't for me either. It took me a long time to try to make sense of this, and I'm still trying to make sense of this. And that's because it's based on the metaphor of the wilderness tabernacle, which had an architecture that many of us aren't familiar with anymore. There was an outer court and an outer sanctuary and an inner sanctuary, the holy of holies, which only the high priest entered and only once a year. This architecture recognized that it was serious, sometimes dangerous business for sinful and imperfect human beings to approach this transcendent and mysterious God. And and it recognized God's determination to be among this people anyway. And so worship, ritual sacrifices, this priesthood, this sacred community were all God-given means of facilitating this commerce between heaven and earth, facilitating this meeting between God and humans. And they're good. The tabernacle, the temple, the church are all good. But they're not God. They're good, but not God. They are impermanent, imperfect, unfinished, just like the human beings who make them up. And if that's the case, then why bother? Why bother? Why keep showing up for worship, for prayer, for service, for God, and for one another? Why bother offering anything at all? These are questions that the Hebrews 
We're asking, I believe, and that people of faith have asked time and time again, especially when it gets hard. They're questions that people of faith that we may have asked when we've worried. Worried that we don't know how to pray anymore because it doesn't feel like it used to. When we fear that our faith isn't enough because it doesn't look like we think it should or like that person over there. Or we fear that our offering, our sorrows, our hopes, our longings, our joys are not worthy of being offered. Our gifts for ministry are not needed. These are the questions we ask when we fear all these things and when we mistake periods of spiritual dryness or languishing for failure. When we mistake those challenging periods for failure rather than what they really are, seasons of fallowness in which deeper roots may grow. Hebrews answers all of these questions, all these anxieties, with a call to spiritual maturity and to grit, to perseverance, and to a bold and courageous generosity grounded in Jesus Christ, who is a faithful and merciful high priest who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. A human being like every single one of us, Christ knows what it is to suffer and to die, to love and to lose. And still, he persisted in love. He obeyed God to the very end, and in so doing showed us how to do the same, and empowered us to do the same. In Christ is our hope also, because he shows us what lies ahead. He shows us why we bother, why we keep showing up and doing what we can, offering what we can, even when it's less than perfect, even when it's still unfinished. Because get this, Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly holiest of holies, where he intercedes for us and where he has blessed and perfected or completed our offerings, our sacrifices, our daily sacrifices, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, the holy and living sacrifice of ourselves, our souls and bodies, however imperfect we may be. God wants and welcomes each and every one of our offerings, and the world needs them, even when they fall short. Even when we have no idea where we're going or why we're still here, as Thomas Merton prayed, our desire to please God does, in fact, please God. Your offering 
does, in fact, please God and participates in and is completed by Christ's sacrifice of himself for the whole world. So, friends, let us approach God. Let us draw near to God and one another with confidence and offer whatever is ours to offer, knowing that God blesses it and returns it to us, the gifts of God for the people of God and for the whole world, for those who need those gifts today. And let us consider, let us consider how to encourage, how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. And in light of our collect today and my struggle, our struggle with Hebrews, let us consider how to provoke one another to good and loving interpretations of our scriptures also. And when we come across parts of the Bible that scare or offend us, let us dig in. Let us dig in together, trusting that God will meet us there, even there also. Amen.